Welcome to week three of our Disrupted series, How Convenient. We're halfway through a series about dealing with disruption and along comes a practical application. Welcome to lockdown. Well, that's for me anyway. Here we are in our brand new studio. The last piece of equipment arrived just this week, and so God is good. Here we are able to use this wonderful new facility. So let's get into today's sermon. We know that life rarely moves in a straight line. Things happen that put bumps and bends and potholes into our ideal straight road ahead. Some of these disruptions happen as a result of choices that we've made. Others are the result of choices of others that bump or crash into our plans for the future. And sometimes life just happens. To use another analogy, imagine a boat on a lake and you're in the boat. Now, every choice that you make moves the boat. You control the boat, but as you move the boat, you're creating ripples. Now, this is all fine and good if you're the only person on the lake, but you're not. There are other people in boats on the lake as well, all making choices about how their boat should move. As each boat moves, ripples are made, and these ripples affect the way that our, that our boat moves through the water. These ripples aren't an issue if everybody is calm and level-headed, moving in the same direction as you, but they're not. And let's face it, the ripples that we create can rock other people's boats from time to time, or maybe a lot of the time. All it takes is one wrong decision one thoughtless word, one careless action, and someone is overboard. Throughout this series, where we've been taking a look at some biblical characters who faced some pretty major disruptions in their lives. Graham began our series looking at the Apostle Paul, who faced some pretty major disruptions. He encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus, and Paul asked, asked two very important questions when facing disruptions. First one was, who are you, Lord? And the second one is, what shall I do, Lord? Two really important questions. Last week, Ross gave some insight into the disruption Mary's fiance, Joseph, faced when she told him that she was pregnant with God's son. Joseph's response redefined what it meant to be a righteous man in that time and that culture, as he took Mary to be his wife and become the earthly father of Jesus. From Joseph now, we're going to go back 14 generations, 1,000 years, and look at the life of one of the most well-known Old Testament characters. There are so many great Old Testament characters, heroes of the faith, with incredible stories that many of us probably learned as little kids. Noah and the Ark, Moses in the Red Sea, Daniel in the lion's den, Jonah in the big fish, but no other Old Testament character has been written more about in both the Old Testament and the New Testament of the Bible than David. We are given insight into David's life like no other. What we have is what has been written about David and what David wrote about himself in the Psalms. The accounts are open, real, raw and honest. And they're also very confronting too, as every aspect of, human, of the human condition is explored through the life of this man. 
His story is adventurous, suspenseful, scandalous, barbaric, romantic, heartbreaking, and disruptive. It wouldn't be difficult, difficult at all to do an entire series just based on David's life and how it was disrupted. The series would probably last a year, but today we've only got today. So I want to take a look at just a few of these disruptions that took place in David's life. What I'd like us to take special note of and learn from is how David responded to each of these disruptions. Each one set off a chain reaction, a ripple effect. Let's start with perhaps one of the most well-known chapters of David's story, the showdown between David and Goliath. One of the big reasons this story is so spectacular is because of the obvious physical difference between the two opponents. David, a regular shepherd boy, probably aged somewhere between 15 and 20, decked out in his regular shepherd getup. Goliath was a terrifying and mighty Philistine warrior. His height measured six cubits and a span. In today's measurement, that's almost three meters tall or nine foot nine inches. The Israelites were at war with the Philistines and from the battle camp every morning and every evening for 40 days, the Israeli army would hear Goliath's booming voice taunt them, challenging them to a one-on-one -on -one fight. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, why do you come up and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistine said, this day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Now Saul was the king of Israel, whose stature both in position and physicality was nothing to sneeze at. When he was made king, the Bible described him as an impressive young man with, without equal among the Israelites, a head taller than any of the others. Now, he's still nowhere near as tall as Goliath, but he's impressive nonetheless. Saul was Israel's champion. He was the man that should have been going out to face Goliath. And all of Israel's army knew it. It's no wonder that they were dismayed as well as terrified. Here is Saul shaking in his boots. Into the camp comes David, who's been sent by his dad with some food to check on his brothers who were soldiers in the army. When David hears the insults being shouted across the valley by Goliath, here is where the disruption begins for David. He looks around and asks why nothing is being done. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God, David asked. Someone picked up on David's unusual courage. And soon after, David was brought before King Saul. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. And so off he went. David was not interested in being a hero. He was there to stand up to someone who defied his faith. Disruptions can often challenge our faith, particularly giant-sized disruptions. 
Some can be incredibly intimidating and overwhelming. And so often our first response to these disruptions is to try and figure out how we can deal with them in our own strength. And that can cause a lot of fear. But let's take a look at David. Then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in his pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand approached the Philistine. Meanwhile, the Philistine with his shield bearer in front of him kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. David said to the Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. The battle is the Lord's. David's faith in that moment was inspirational. He wasn't concerned about the external appearance of his disruption. While everyone else was running around scared of this giant, David was saying, what giant? The only giant I know is God. David could recall God's faithfulness in the past and could rely on God's faithfulness in this moment right now. David's eyes were fixed on God and God honoured David's faith. David ran toward Goliath, placing a stone in his sling. He whipped it around and let it fly. And it smacked Goliath right between his eyes. And that giant fell with an enormous thud, face first into the dirt. As we battle our giants, those tsunami-sized ripples, we need to remember that the battle is the Lord's. We lean on him. We can trust him. God is faithful. Following this monumental victory, things were looking good for David. He wound up with a high-ranking position in the army. He married the king's daughter and became very popular with the people. They even wrote songs about him, which upset King Saul because the songs were about how much better David was than him. After a while, the ripple effect of David killing Goliath began to ripple in ways that didn't work out too well for David. Saul became very jealous of David to the point of wanting him dead. And so for a number of years, David went on the run in a deadly game of cat and mouse. It's during this time of heavy disruption that inspired David to write a few Psalms, as you do. As we read the Psalms, we catch a glimpse of what David was going through. And we can take courage as we also go through difficult times and disruptions. David pours out his heart to God, saying, this is where I am right now. This is what's going on. This is how I'm feeling. Life couldn't get any worse. 
But then David chooses to focus his attention away from the mess to the majesty of God, highlighting once again God's goodness and his faithfulness. I love the example of how the Psalms are written, the way that they provide an honest voice to the hardships that we may be going through, their rawness in saying, God, I've got big problems, but God, I know that you are bigger. The battle is yours. I trust you. I want to read a psalm that David wrote whilst hiding out from Saul in a cave. Psalm 57. Have mercy on me, my God. Have mercy on me. For in you I take refuge. I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings until the disaster has passed. I cry out to God most high, to God who vindicates me. He sends from heaven and saves me, rebuking those who hotly pursue me. God sends forth his love and his faithfulness. I am in the midst of lions. I am forced to dwell among ravenous beasts, men whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. They spread a net for my feet. I was bowed down in distress. They dug a pit in my path but they have fallen into it themselves. My heart, O God, is steadfast. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make music. Awake, my soul, awake, harp and lyre. I will awaken the dawn. I will praise you, Lord, among the nations. I will sing of you among the peoples, for great is your love, reaching to the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the sky. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. During this time, many others had begun to rally around David and his influence grew. Many were dissatisfied with Saul's erratic leadership. Eventually, Saul's army was at war again with the Philistines and Saul and his sons were killed in battle. David, who years earlier had been anointed as the next king of Israel, ascended to the throne and Israel began to thrive. Enemies were defeated and the kingdom expanded significantly. It was a time of prosperity. Things were certainly rippling in the right way for David, which made him vulnerable. It's hard to be proud when everything is against you. But when everything is swinging in your direction, well, that's when we need to be careful. This is when we think that we don't need to depend on God. This is when we think we're the only ones on the lake. David began to get a little too comfortable. By this stage, he's around 50 years old. His army is off fighting the Ammonites and David is kicking back in his palace. It's a warm spring night and he wanders out onto the balcony on his roof of the palace and he looks and he sees a woman bathing. Big disruption. Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his book, Temptation, exposes the problem that so many of us wrestle with. With irresistible power, desire seizes mastery of the flesh. All at once a secret, smouldering fire is kindled. 
The flesh burns and is in flames. It makes no difference whether it's a sexual desire or ambition or vanity or desire for revenge or love of fame and power or greed for money. At this moment, God is quite unreal to us. He loses all reality and only desire for the creature is real. The only reality is the devil. Satan does not here fill us with hatred of God, but with forgetfulness of God. The lust thus aroused envelops the mind and will of man in deepest darkness. The powers of clear discrimination and of decision are taken from us. The questions present themselves as, is what the flesh desires really sin in this case? And is it really not permitted to me, yes, expected of me now, here in my particular situation, to appease desire? It is here that everything within me rises up against the word of God. Therefore, the Bible teaches us in times of temptation in the flesh, there is one command, flee. Flee the lusts of this world. There is no resistance to Satan in lust other than flight. Every struggle against lust in one's own strength is doomed to failure. Disruption of common sense. Disruption of all David had learned about God through years of difficulty. Clear thinking was now out the window. He's now consumed with a single focused desire to have Bathsheba. That was her name. He sent one of his servants to find out. And then he had her brought to him to fulfill his desire. The fact that she was married mattered little to the king. Her husband Uriah was off fighting for David in the army. The power of clear discrimination and decision was not just disrupted, it was disintegrated. And the ripple effect became a tsunami. Soon after that night together, Bathsheba sent word to David that she was pregnant. And David went to extreme lengths to cover his trail. He ordered her husband back to Jerusalem, but Uriah, he, he refused to go home to his wife while he was serving the king. So that plan didn't work. So David sent him back to the battle to deliver a note to his commanding officer. That note told the commanding officer to put Uriah at the front line of the battle and then to abandon him to ensure that he would be killed. And sure enough, that's what happened. David then married Bathsheba and she gave birth to a son. And we read in the final sentence of chapter 11 of 2 Samuel, but the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. One of the most sobering verses in the Bible comes from Paul's letter to the Galatians. He writes, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. A man reaps what he sows. There are consequences. There is a ripple effect. The prophet Nathan confronted David about what he'd done, and David was undone. David confessed, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan assured him that God had forgiven him. 
The Apostle John also reminds us of God's mercy. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Now, as awesome as God's forgiveness is, there is still a ripple effect caused by our actions. God's forgiveness doesn't stop the ripple, but he does promise to be with us as we ride the wave of those consequences. The disruptions that followed for David were quite disastrous. His new son became sick and died. And as the years went on, David's family got more and more messed up. One of his other sons, Absalom, rose up against him. So David went on the run again and he wrote a few more Psalms, as you do. And then Absalom was killed in a pretty uh, unfortunate way, which you can read about in 2 Samuel uh, chapter 18. David then reclaimed the throne and ruled until his death at age 70. What a life. And we've only just scraped the surface. If David's life was like a boat on a lake, it would have been a pretty rough ride and certainly a rough ride for those around him. But David knew that God could be trusted in all things. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. David was described by God as a man after my own heart. Does that mean he was perfect? No way. It was because he was hungry for God. He sought after God. He had a passion for spiritual things. He demonstrated true repentance and he tried to please God despite his failures. And God showed him mercy. God showed him grace. Part of the ripple effects from the actions of David and Bathsheba was another son that they named Solomon. Solomon was appointed as the next king by David. Now Solomon had a son named Rehoboam and generation after generation of David's line, God was at work in all things, guiding the ripple effect until it reached one of David's descendants, whose name was Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who was called the Christ. When Jesus grew up, he had a group of followers. And we read in Matthew chapter eight that they all went out on a lake in a boat. Suddenly a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him saying, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. He replied, you of little faith. Why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked him, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. In our boat, in our boat on the lake, ripples and waves are inevitable. We will be rocked. Either we'll be causing it or we'll be enduring it from external forces. If we trust Jesus, we know that he is not off in some far off place, oblivious to what's going on. He is right there with us in the boat, offering peace. We don't need to be afraid with Jesus with us in the boat. 
Jesus died on a cross and caused the biggest disruption this world has ever seen. Because of sin, we were all on a straight line, straight to hell, eternal separation from God. But Jesus disrupted death. He conquered death and rose again, an event that will ripple on throughout eternity. And we get to ride that ripple of eternal life if we choose to believe in him. God wants each of us to be men and women after his own heart, to keep passionately pursuing Jesus when sailing is smooth and when we're rocked by the ripples. No matter what we go through, just like David, we have the opportunity to worship God, to recognize that he is in control. Life rarely works out the way that we plan it. So look to God, keep your eyes fixed on him. He is faithful and gracious. He's worth singing about. And so I wrote a song. It's, it's kind of like a psalm, but David, he, <laughs> he sets a pretty high bar. But hopefully as I sing this song, it can be an encouragement to you. So let me just get organized here with my guitar. Here we go. Stranded ambition, the final admission, my life isn't going to plan. Best of intentions are ended and prayers go unanswered again and again. And again in disruption, I know I can trust in the one who won't waver at all. For I have a savior, the wind and the waves will obey in the midst of the storm. I will sing of God's great faithfulness. I rest in endless grace. Love that lifted me from miry clay carries me on my way. Started believing the path I was needing was no longer narrow to find. Blinded by liars and selfish desires, the world for the taking was mine. But what good is gaining a world that keeps changing its mind what it wants to be told? And what good is claiming a vapor of fortune and fame in exchange for my soul? So I will sing of God's great faithfulness. I rest in endless grace. Love that lifted me from miry clay carries me on my way. Carries me on my way. Hope that is real. Hope that is strong. I know where my help comes from. When 
When I'm surrounded by thousands of doubts And my history gets in the way Darkness is creeping, I'm down on my knees It's the reason I won't be afraid Impossible peace offered now within reach Unbelievable mercy is shown The road might be broken and crooked But look at the goodness that follows me home I will sing of God's great faithfulness I rest in endless grace Love that lifted me from miry clay Sing of God's great faithfulness Rest in endless grace Love that lifted me from miry clay Carries me on my way Carries me on my way Carries me on my way Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your grace that goes before us and your mercy that comes behind. Help us not to lean on our own understanding, but in all things acknowledge you because we know that in all things you work for the good of those who love you and are called according to your purpose. Thank you that when things seem impossible, you are making a way for our good and for your glory. Help us to keep our eyes fixed on you, the light in the darkness in every disruption. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.